You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week with Carol Masser and Jason Kelly on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Uh, Really excited about this next hour uh, because we're going to be talking about some things that are really important amid this pandemic. Uh, Carol, and I know we've been looking forward to this conversation with Oren Frank. He's co-founder and chief executive officer of Talkspace, joining us on the phone from New Jersey. And Oren, first of all, hope you're well and uh, sort of coping as best you can as we all are uh, amid all of this. Thanks, Jason. Thanks for having me. So help us understand what Talkspace is and, and how you came to create it, because you had a long career, or a very successful career uh, in the ad game, uh, I believe, and, and you happened upon this through some personal experience. Tell us the story. So hey, that's true. I, I was in marketing and advertising for many years, and I'm now repenting and paying for my sins, I guess. <laughs> uh, and, and, and we started Talkspace because we just thought that psychotherapy was such a wonderful profession and had so much added value. And it was just a shame that so few people actually have access to it. So our mission from day one was, can we actually open up access for everyone who wants to at least try talking to a therapist? It has helped both me and my co-founder, is also my wife, my partner, uh, tremendously in our lives. And we thought, you know, the world has to be a better place if we could open this up for everyone. So that was the, the I would say, the initial or the beginning in around 2012. And what's interesting is when I think about it, how great that you can open it up to maybe a world of people who might not reach out to go face-to-face with someone. But at the same time, sometimes that face-to-face is really, really important. What's, how, do you, how do you kind of balance both of that? So both are great. You know, I've been to face-to-face therapy for many long years, and it's wonderful. The truth of the matter is, in terms of just being practical, most people cannot afford nor the money or the time to go and see someone face-to-face. The usage of face-to-face therapy in the United States is, let's say, in a good year, you have 10 million people who actually go and do it, and they do it for just a few, several sessions, not more than that. That means that there's a huge and immense gap between the, I would say, the number, the amount of people that actually could use help and need help uh, in a clinical way and the ones that are actually uh, using that. So we're not trying to take away business from face-to-face. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, But all those tens of millions that could use it as well but cannot afford it in so many ways are welcome to try remote or virtual or online therapy, which is what we do. And so tell us about the the technology, because, you know, this is beyond what you have created is beyond just a a situation where people can can do this remotely. There's some artificial intelligence built in, I I believe. Help us understand how that works. So, so, you know, behavioral health and psychotherapy and psychiatry are, uh, as I said before, wonderful professions. They're very rich in theories, but they're kind of poor in data. Uh, where you introduce an online modern technology platform, the thing that you begin to do is you begin to aggregate and accumulate vast uh, uh, troves of data that can be used to learn and see patterns. And then effectively, and and when someone uses our our technology or our platform, they can do video, they can do audio, they can write to each other. It's their choice. But we can analyze this and actually learn how the best treatment courses look like. 
what are the best lines of interventions that will apply to uh, certain kinds of conditions or acuities? When you have a large enough data set, you can do what's called very large-scale regressions mm. and begin to get, you know, a faint idea of what works better than other approaches. Because in, in all honesty, if, if you went to a therapist in, in Manhattan, you don't know how good they are. You don't know how many people they helped in the past. And more than anything else, you don't know if they're, he or she is a good fit for you, for your right. particular need. You know, right. therapy is a little bit like dating. Well, and I want to talk more about the use of machine learning and AI and all of this in a moment. But I do wonder about the therapist that you use. What's the screening involved? Um, tell us a little bit of, uh, about that process. So we have close to 5,000 therapists on the network in all 50 states. And because we have this, this uh, level of data, we can actually know who is a good fit and a great therapist that will deliver good clinical outcomes on this platform. Um, so I can tell you one thing that probably won't surprise you, but we found only two strong correlations, one stronger than the other, uh, towards what makes a really good therapist. So the first one, interestingly enough, is having around seven or eight minimum years of experience post-supervision. Um, that delivers significantly better clinical outcomes. Uh, so if you look at our network, they, they all qualify to this. So on average, they have a tenure from nine to 10 years. And the second one, Carol, won't surprise you at all, and it actually applies to uh, most of uh, our life, is that women are better. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, no surprise. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> yeah, that, we I, actually have a segment later in the week about how leaders, you know, during crisis – better women. I, I'm <laughs> women the only better. person who can see Carol during this show right now, Oren, and I can tell you that she is giving her not surprised face uh, and her slightly, um, careful, uh, careful I don't, don't want to say smug. I don't want to say smug, but uh, certain face. Uh, that, Jason, that's you and I, sure. you, you should join the forces to our next startup, which is handling over, handing over the world to women. So a story in the magazine this week, in Bloomberg Business Week magazine, by Cynthia Coons, our U.S. healthcare reporter at Bloomberg News, is about how in the midst of the pandemic, more people are turning to online therapy to deal with anxiety, depression, and relationship strife. And that includes turning to Talkspace, which is where we get back to our guest. Orrin Frank is co-founder and CEO at Talkspace, uh, joining us on the phone uh, in New Jersey. First of all, I was curious, Orrin, I mean, tell us, Orrin, how much of your site um, has gone up your app in terms of uh, since we've been kind of since we've been in lockdown for the last two months so, so it, it's changing every day but we, we see at least a doubling of our traffic of people that are coming in and are looking for help and we can see it coming from two sources one is you know beyond the pandemic that we talk about all day there's a second, I would say, epidemic, which is one of mental health, which is triggered by, by COVID-19. Mm. Uh, so you see people that are the amount of pain and suffering and, 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 and really sad and heartbreaking stories that are out there is, is, has grown dramatically. And on top of that, you see, uh, I would say, a second source of people that, that used to go to face-to-face therapy but it's unfortunately not available right now. So they're looking for help elsewhere. But overall, we see more than a double of the people that are looking for help with us. Oren, do you feel like this notion of, of going to therapy or, or talking to someone is becoming 
more widely accepted and acceptable? Are we getting more comfortable talking uh, about mental health? It's a great question, Jason, and, and I don't want to be, you know, give you a wishful thinking answer. Mm-hmm. I think I think stigma is improving, but it's not equally distributed. I think, you know, when we have um, a conversation with people that live in Manhattan, it's part of their daily lives. And yep. It's not anything that's threatening. I, I think one of the uh, interesting things that we learned over the last eight years is that actually remote care sometimes helps alleviate stigma. Um, because part of stigma is that very awkward, I would say, feeling or experience once you meet the therapist face-to-face for the first time. At that point in time, he or she are a complete stranger, and sometimes it's very painful for you to talk about uh, whatever is troubling you. So there's a sense of awkwardness of being judged that is part of stigma itself. So some of the younger people, the millennials, a.k.a. millennials, feel much safer in writing about it from afar. Right. And we, we we see an interesting phenomenon in which people begin to write to the therapist. And after a couple of months, they will once they trust him or her, they will do a live video session because now they are willing to expose themselves. Wow, yeah. that's re- that's really interesting. Sort of mixing the mixing the media in in some ways. What I find fascinating for such a developed society, smart society, developed country, is that we don't really respect health whether it's physical health or mental health, it's really kind of mind-boggling for the amount of money that we spend on a lot of stuff. And I mean, we might individually, but I, I think even the medical world doesn't necessarily appreciate or certain aspects of it um, or in the importance of mental health. I like, why isn't, it, why isn't it that we all go in every year for kind of a, I don't know, you know, that that's got to be part of our mental, mental health checkup? Yeah. Like, of course, you're, you're so right, and, and I've, I've made the same you know argument to countless people in, in, in my past, but I really think that in here we have some hope and some positive change. I think you know much of healthcare is delivered by large employers in the United States, and I think a, a certain faction of them really understands that and will prioritize mental health and mental wellness uh, just as much as they do any other form of healthcare. I think systematically, you know, the healthcare system, you know, someone very wise once told me that the United States have the best medicine in the world and probably the world's healthcare system. Yeah. Uh, I think the healthcare system is catching up to that as well. And I can tell you that we also operate uh, enterprise, so business to business, and we have a, we've had a huge growth of uh, large payers that understand that they need to provide this kind of access and have started working with us in the last couple of months or as of uh, COVID-19. So I think we're actually making progress there. And I don't know how long it will take, um, but I'm, I'm, with that, I'm pretty confident that, that it will be uh, provided to, to Americans. We just have to. It just makes sense. You shared stats with us, and I just want to throw it out to our people that um, among the increase since everybody's been in lockdown, 75% increase in clients with a chief complaint of anxiety, 25 to 50% because of stress, 50% because of an increase in depression, over 125% increase in difficulty sleeping. And then a lot of them for couples therapy or just people coming, almost 48% uh, coming because of relationship problems. Um, so it's been a variety of things that really have um, created some troubles for people. What does it cost? I, I think that we are, as I mentioned before, we are facing a huge crisis that's going to hit us. You know, 25 million people lost their jobs. 
yeah. are unemployed now. Uh, people are locked at home, sometimes in very small apartments with family members. Sometimes, you know, I'm sorry to tell you, with abusive family members, right. the mm. amount of pain that is generated by that is something that's going to hit us very hard pretty soon. I think, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of that. We're going to see more deaths of despair, also known as suicide. Um, with the level, not just the number of people that are approaching uh, and are seeking help, also their acuity. So how hard it really hits them is mind-boggling. It right. is a very sad picture out there. Uh, I, I, and I don't see that getting any better anytime soon with how the economy is doing and how the general mood is doing. Right. I wish we had more time because there's, I have like a million more questions. Yeah, <laughs> so you'll yeah. have, to, you'll have to come back and spend some time with us. Orrin Frank, we really appreciate it. Co-founder, CEO of Talkspace. Joining us on the phone from New Jersey. Check out the story by Cynthia Coons in the latest edition of Business Week. It's excellent uh, and gives you a sense of the scope uh, of the problem out there that Orrin Frank is trying to tackle.